everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of So You Want to Get Sober. I'm your host, Mel, and I'm also an alcoholic. This week's episode is going to be super fun. I'm really excited. I have another one of my friends on the show, Angie. She specifically has been there throughout my entire recovery. She actually got sober uh, one month before I did. I, I started when she did, but I needed that extra month to just figure out if this is what I wanted to do. And when I got back into the rooms, she was there and super supportive of my sobriety journey. And I just couldn't be more grateful. You know, I think it's really important to have someone who's been there with you since day one, who who started there with you too. So you guys can kind of just like share your progress. And our friendship has actually grown into something magnificence and that I've never experienced before where it's, you know, spiritual and we know how to have fun, but there's depth to it. And that's all because we're in recovery and have grown so much this past year. So yeah, what we, what we have is very special. (laughs) Anyways, without further ado, here's my friend, Angie. Thank you so much, Mel. And the feelings are 100% mutual. You have been there for me throughout this entire year from the beginning um, of sobriety and I could not be more grateful for you. So thank you so much for asking me to speak today. Um, Hi everyone. My name is Angie. I'm an alcoholic and addict. Um, My sobriety date is June 17th of 2019. So as Mel mentioned earlier, I just had one full year of sobriety. And a little bit about myself and what I was like uh, back in back in the days, so one year and one month ago. Um, I grew up in Chicago, middle class family. I'm 27 years old, just turned 27. I'm the oldest of two kids. I have a younger sister, and I had two working parents growing up. So, you know, I think for me that kind of started a lot of my need for affection and need for. Attention and within my family um, and generationally, there was a lot of I think not there wasn't like flat out addiction. There was a little bit of alcoholism, but just going to show that I don't think that I was an alcoholic because of my family. I truly think I was born with alcoholic tendencies, and for me, that manifested like really early on um, in a variety of ways. Like one of them was food. Like for me, I was just it was just always this like disease of more. Like I couldn't just have even like one piece of chicken at dinner. Like I needed to like eat my sister's chicken off her plate. And I would like hoard American Girl dolls and like say I was collecting them for the future and like what they were going to be worth one day. Um, And then also it like totally manifested with perfectionism in school and overachieving, doing the most, getting good grades being a varsity athlete and it's like always trying to overdo it. Like I would never was satisfied with just enough. And for me, I mean, I think it, it was really hard, especially in high school, because those are such like formative years of your life where I just kept getting lost and lost in these like different directions where I would like hang out with the party crew and then like blackout every weekend or like hang out with the retreat kids and like lead retreats and be like on the stage at school getting awards. And I just kept like losing myself in these different um, versions of my personality. And that's kind of when I started leaning into like the party version of myself, um, probably the most was like right out of the gates. Like I got drunk and like blacked out and threw up everywhere. Like the first night I ever drank UV blue, um, like straight out of a water bottle. And, um, and I knew like right then and there that like something was off. Cause like my friends weren't throwing up and like making up lies, like getting in trouble, but like I was, and, um, that just, if I look back on it was a red flag, but 
you know, going on in high school, I still kind of had these like alter egos. Like I had all these different stage characters of who I was and who I portrayed myself in the world to be. And I think also it was just because I didn't know who I was inside. And I went to a big party school on the East Coast, like super, you know, prestigious. And that was definitely one of the reasons why I went there is because, you know, it was definitely a who's who scene school. And I wanted to be a finance major and, you know, work in investment banking on Wall Street. Like I just, I knew what I wanted. And they say alcoholics have a strong will. And I completely agree with that because anything that I put my mind to, I like will do what I will go to any length to get that thing. Like whether it is chasing after a boy or like, I don't know, like some, like getting an Adderall prescription or, you know, like getting the job on Wall Street or all these things. Like there was nothing that was going to stop me. And um, this kind of like extremism personality was just go- getting to an extreme. And what ended up happening in, in college was, you know, again, like these facades were catching up to me. I really struggled to make genuine friendships because I wanted to be everything to everyone. And I was like an inch deep and a mile wide. And I really, um, I never let anyone see like the full picture um, because honestly, I was afraid to see the full picture. Like I didn't know what was going on. Um, with me. And, you know, I just was chasing after all these external things, like all of the things I just mentioned, the clothes, the money, everything to make me seem on the outside, like I had it all together. And so I ended up getting the job on Wall Street. Um, I, you know, interned there, I thought I had made it, I like was walking through the hallways. And I was like, Oh, my God, my life will never get better than this. And I remember um, everyone says, don't black out at the holiday party. Don't black out at the holiday party. And of course, the one night the, they take the interns out for drinks. I wasn't even going to drink that night. And I end up blacking out and rapping a Millie in front of my executive directors. <laughs> and um, the next day, I made it. I didn't go to work on time. I showed up at 11am. I was hungover. Everyone knew. like It was just such a no-no. And they were going to let it slide and, and until I like ended up messing up a presentation and like then they didn't hire me back and i had to live with myself like and this regret like the whole rest of my senior year because i was like i will never live up to the expectation of, of myself and for me i may as well have died because like if i wasn't going to be a wall street cokehead like i always wanted to be i didn't want to be anything and i Settled taking this job in Boston where it was again like a finance job. I was one of the few women on the on the floor. Um, I worked in sales, so that was an addiction in and of itself. Like always trying to be the best and you know get the hit the most metrics and make the most money and win the prizes. Like it was all things I loved, like chasing after rewards. And I didn't even want the rewards. I was getting like Celtics tickets. I'm like I don't even like basketball, but I want the thing. And when I was in Boston's when I hit my first bottom because I just, again, was super lost. I was chasing after this stupid fuckboy who had wanted nothing to do with me, but I was obsessed with him, like loved him so much. And, um, and my drinking was getting out of hand and my Adderall use was getting out of hand and my coke use was getting out of hand and my grandma died. And I came home for Thanksgiving, um, the same week, right after I, passed a big test and like I blacked out uh, the night before Thanksgiving with my sister and my cousin and I opened up a tab and my family still makes fun of me to this day. They're like, shots on Angie, shots on Angie. 
And my mom and dad were like, you know, you're a lush, like you need to get it together. And I was like, like buzz off. Like I'm fine. Like, you know, I'm just partying. I'm just sad about my grandma, whatever. And I go back to Boston and I, it just was like, never this, it just, the highs weren't as high as they once were. And, um, I, ended up getting a new job in San Francisco. And this was what they call a geographic where I thought Boston was the problem. I was like, nope, like Boston is the issue. Boston's why I drink too much. Boston's why I do too much blow. I need to move to San Francisco where everyone is healthy and hikes and doesn't eat gluten. And I'm going to find myself there. And I remember saying this to my parents and they were like, do you want to go to rehab? I was like, cause I, I was like, I think I have a problem with substances. And I was like, no, no, like rehab is way too embarrassing because people are going to know that I am a drug addict. So like, I'm going to try and deal with this on my own. And of course, like moved to San Francisco and new city, same, like the nights turned into days. We were doing a lot of day drinking, day blow, um, you know, Adderall on a daily basis for work still. And I just became like more and more like lonely, really. And I made all these friends and San Francisco is such a transient city and everyone is so friendly. Um, but I was just so alone. And I ended up getting in this relationship. Um, and I kind of hid behind him. And I like, you know, was like, you know, you have a problem, you need to go to therapy, you need this. And I was so in denial, like with my own uh, addictions, um, that I kept just trying to like, put, pin it on other people. And it just got, you know, more empty and empty. Like they say I had this massive hole I was just never able to fill. I mean, yeah, now that I know what this God-sized hole is, like I was restless, irritable, and discontent. I was never satisfied. And I just kept chasing after the things. Like I ran a marathon. I got a promotion. I got Rent the Runway subscription, always had new clothes. Like all these things that I thought were going to make me happy just weren't. And um my, you know, my kind of like, I had kind of a few different like physical bottoms, but um, including like, you know, domestic abuse and, um, you know, a few other like falling outs with friends, but really my like emotional bottom was kind of like not a nonchalant moment where I was going to a conference for work. Um, my flight was from San Francisco to Los Angeles, which is roughly eight and a half minutes in the air. And I told myself, I didn't want to drink that week. I was like, you know what? You've got a big wedding this weekend. Like, like, just take the week off from drinking. And I got upgraded to first class and the flight attendant came around and was like, would you like a glass of wine? And I just looked through and was like, sure. And all of a sudden it was like off to the races. Like I finished the first, I flagged her down, I ordered a second. And I just remembered like looking out the little window of that airplane at a reflection of myself while listening to a Brene Brown podcast. And at the time she was talking about that she had 24 years of sobriety. And I was like, looking at myself like you garbage human, like you didn't even want to drink this week. And here we are again. And it was only two glasses of wine, but I was tipsy from it. And at that time I was like tipsy, mad at myself, listening to Brene Brown. I was like, wait a minute, like maybe I do have a drinking problem. And maybe there is, maybe there's something to all this. 
And this is exactly why I wanted to have you on this show, because I feel like people have this idea that their bottom has to look like they've lost their car, their job, their their family, their kids, and like it doesn't have to look like that. Like you can just feel awful and that's enough. Um, you don't have to do it based off of what society thinks an alcoholic or addict looks like. And I just think it's super important that people know you can make this decision at any time for you. Um, and I hate to tell you guys, but like, if you think you're an alcoholic or addict, (laughs) think you might have a problem, like you probably have a problem. Yeah. I love that line so much. Like if there's a reason why you're here and Um, I totally agree. And like, yeah, I was just really not liking myself at all. And I didn't know anyone that was sober um, until I knew these two guys in San Francisco who were 28 and 29, respectively. They had like eight and nine years of sobriety. And I texted them after and I was like, I think I have an issue with drinking. Like, I'm not really sure. Can you share with like, talk to me with your experience? And the first thing that that he said to me was, you know, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. And he said to me, you know, what ha- what's funny is it used to say the only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. But honestly, they just took out the honest. And if you want to stop drinking, like this is the place for you. Like you don't even have to have an honest desire to stop drinking. And I was like, yeah, okay. I think I want to stop drinking, like at least for a little while. So I'll come check it out. And he brought me to my first meeting that night. And that's how I like found out about AA. That's amazing. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I feel like people think that they come into AA and it's like till death do us part. And like, I mean, hopefully if you stay long enough, like it is, but there's no like audition for Alcoholics Anonymous, like just show up and see what it's like and like go from there, like have some curiosity about that. Um, And I think it's also super important, you know, like you only had those two men who introduced you to your first meeting But like the purpose of this podcast is to showcase there's so many more people. There's, you know, other 27 year olds who are in finance and like an alcoholic and, you know, I'm 25 and an alcoholic. Like there's so many more of us than you would think. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if I can be that for someone else that like even one person, like I, that my whole life would be complete, you know, and I would find so much value and use, but yeah, I, I had no idea, you know, what Alcoholics Anonymous was. There were definitely um, stigmas around it, but I'll be honest with you. Like when I got sober, I basically like replied all to my entire contact list because I was so like proud of my decision to get sober. And like I told my family and I told all my friends, and I would like I, there were probably some people that like didn't deserve to know to be honest, but I was so excited that I could have a new way of life. And I didn't know that this existed. Like I didn't want to be depressed anymore uh, or like, you know, write suicide letters to myself. Like I just wanted to be happy and free from the shackles of like relying on drugs to keep me through the day. Cause at one point I was just like my own little chemist, you know, being like, all right, I'm gonna take an Adderall during the day and then I'm gonna have a glass of wine and then I'm gonna take a Xanax cause I'll be too hyped. Then I'll take another Adderall to work out. And like, it was just getting too much. I was like, you know what, who is the real me under all of this? And it's been, you know, a hard journey, but even like from the very beginning, 
Like, I know it's kind of unconventional, but I remembered being in the rooms of AA and being like, I'm going to be a sober woman. And like, you know, I've got some stuff with my mom who has her own battles with addiction. And I just knew it was like looking in a crystal ball at some points of, I have the potential to change the trajectory of my future life and future family's life and future generations. And I'm going to do it. And so, um, you know, it hasn't been easy for sure, but it's, but at least there is another way out. And I had no idea of this other way out over a year ago. Yeah. And the cool thing is, you get to do this for you. Like you get to show up and get sober for you. You know, your partner can't help you. You're not doing this to save your marriage, your kids. Like those are all good reasons. But if you come in for yourself, you're going to continue to grow and become that better version of you. And in turn, like your marriage is going to get better. Your friendships are going to be stronger. You'll have better relationships in all aspects of your life. And I just think it's so admirable that you came in to fill that God-sized hole that you were talking about, like for Angie, you did it for you. Like that's fucking amazing. You're amazing. Honestly, like this whole thing is an inside out job. And I struggle with that because for so long, I feel like I, my head was disconnected from my body because I didn't want to feel anything. I just wanted to go through life and do the things and, um, and be unscathed, you know, but Unlay, un, kind of like unveiling the layers. Like I'm a super complex human with a lot of feelings, and I'm very sensitive. And and like even though I'm ambitious, like yeah, I get hurt sometimes. And even that's been in a journey in and of itself of like truly discovering what that means because I never even took the time to think about that before. And I don't know. It's it's been hard, but it's been so so gratifying and especially now in this pandemic. I couldn't I would have never been able to let, to get through all of the changes of this pandemic and COVID without the tools of the spiritual program of AA. Like I leverage the tools every single day whether it's meditation, calling the magic that is calling another fellow, like calling you Mel or talk, texting with you. And like, we're just like cracking out back and forth of like, like laughing about what each other is saying. Like there is magic that comes from that and working the 12 steps. And I never had like a God. I ran, I ran the show. There was no higher power in my life. Like I made all the decisions and now I get to like pray all day and like ask someone else for help. And um, and write, write things that hurt my feelings and like write it out. And it's kind of like journaling, but it's so therapeutic. And I have just been so grateful for these tools that have gotten me through even like the toughest time with all these changes happening. Yeah. Oh my God. Totally. And I actually, I wanted to ask you, you know, going through early sobriety, what do you, what do you think your toughest spots were throughout this past year? The feelings for sure, especially in early sobriety, it was like an avalanche of feelings. And I never wanted to feel any of them sadness, fear, anxiety, pain, like all these things. Like I remember just like crying one day and like I hadn't had a real cry probably since I was like seven years old, you know? And um, knowing what that feels like and knowing that like, it was just, it was surreal. It was surreal dealing with that because I didn't know how to come back. I didn't know how to like come out of it and like be a normal person after. So, you know, learning different ways to deal with feelings. And, um, I mean with everything, like even with the feelings of sadness, like I feel extreme love and gratitude and 
connections with people and friendship. And that's been, you know, the one of the positives of all the feelings is for every bad feeling, there's like another, another feeling I'm tapping into. Like I was never really like a compassionate person. Like I, I couldn't, like if you told me what you were going through, I couldn't fully understand it. And now I feel that. And, um, that definitely got, got easier, you know, and it, and it's definitely a daily struggle. Like I just cried today and I feel good about it. Like I'm so proud of myself <laughs> for crying. <laughs> um, but what I struggle with today, I mean, you know, as my, I feel like today as my needs grow and evolve, like so does my commitment to AA. And so in the beginning, I just went to meetings and it helped. And as I am growing and getting better, like the better I get, the more help I need from my higher power, from the program, from women. Um, and I accept that. And like my God is growing, my program is growing. I'm doing things I never thought I would do. Um, like having routine, like that's a new one for me. <laughs> I never had a routine before. <laughs> um, yeah. So can we just jump back to to the the God aspects really quick? I think a lot of people come in and they're like, I'm an atheist. I don't, I'm not Christian. Like what the hell? And like, it's not that type of God, but can you just kind of, you know, dive in about what that looks like? Love that question. So I grew up Catholic. So um, I had a pretty sense of defined God my in my early childhood. That was pretty formative. Like I thought of like, God is like Santa Claus, Sky Daddy, who like saw everything I was doing and like saw me like steal the perfume from Walgreens one time and like, you know, slap me on the wrist for it. But, um, you know, I, when I came into the rooms at this point, I was pretty much spiritually bankrupt. Like, I think I believed in a God. And in college, I was an altar server and I led retreats and I was really, really into Catholic faith. Um, but I stopped internalizing it and believing it. And I kind of just was going through the motions. And so by the time I came in these rooms, like I was just spiritually empty and I didn't, I didn't think that there was someone or something bigger than me running the show. Like I really did think it was Angie's show when I was acting, producing, directing, doing the lights, selling the tickets and watching my own show. And so when I came in the rooms and people talked about this concept of a higher power, right? And some people call it God as shorthand. Some people call it nature. Some of my friends call it magic. Some of my friends call it the universe. Um, I love all of those things. Like I, my friend Hannah calls it a warm, glowy blanket. That's her higher power. And um, thinking about all these things, I... I was able to form my own conception of like what that is for me. And it is, it is a little bit of Catholic God for sure, but I feel my God more. Like I feel it internally more. And I ask my higher power for help at least five times a day, like in the morning, during the day. And for me, the step three, which is turning my will and my life over to the care of my higher power as I understand it, um, that was probably the most transformative step for me because I truly like gave over the reins of all these little decisions in my life that I used to stress over. And so many different facets of like where I'm going to live, who I'm going to date, what I'm going to do for work, who my true friends are, like all these things that I used to stress about, I just really am like, 
thy will not mine be done and show me your way. Like show me what I'm looking for. Show me the truth um, and give me the courage to live that out. And it's definitely like a little woo-woo at times, but <laughs> but it helped. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. Ugh, I remember one time I think you were debating whether you're going to move back to Chicago. And so I texted you my list of like how to give it up to God. And it's like, okay, one, we totally hold on to it for as long as we can because we're trying to figure it out on ourselves. Two, we finally give it up. Three, we take it back immediately. Four, we finally give it up to God because we have no other options, but it's hard. Oh my gosh. I grip so tightly. It's like, it's like holding on someone I've heard describe it as like the tighter you hold on to sand, the more it falls out of your hand. Like I grip on all facets of life so tight. And for me, it was almost like a sense of relief in these little ways of turning it over. But yeah, I want to reclaim it back all the time. Like, all right, God, you can have this one, mm, but wait, actually I'm going to apartment search on Zillow for two hours <laughs> because I don't trust you. And that's one of my fears, like that I'm not going to be take that God's not going to take care of me. And, you know, through different tools of AA, I'm able to work through that and, and live from an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset and, um, trust that I'm going to be taken care of. And that's probably been the hardest, like day to day tenant of the program to believe is just the blind trust. Um, because I didn't trust anyone really. And now I'm trusting something that doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> Oh my God. No, I feel the exact same way. It's like I give it up to this mystical creature, but I wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work. So, um, okay. I just have a few more questions for you. So did you try any controlling of your drinking before you decided to get sober? Or what were the things you did to try to get better before you actually joined AA? So before I got sober, yes. In that paragraph and more about alcoholism, when they say, um, tried wine only, tried beer only. I was doing shots only. I was doing drugs only. I was, um, I remember one time, yeah, I was doing whole 30 and I was like, well, I'm doing whole 30. So I don't drink for 30 days. I made it 21 days. And then I did cocaine at a party and then like sober Coke. And then I think I ended up like taking shots that night. So it's just, I had never been able to stay stopped drinking or using, um, and yeah, I had tried all of those things. But honestly, when I came in the rooms, I thought I just wanted to take a break from drinking or I'd stop in, you know, indefinitely. And I didn't realize that it was kind of an all or nothing deal, to be quite frank. Like when I got in and people were like, all right, like, this is it. Like no more Adderall, no weed, no microdosing shrooms. Oh, there's... I forgot to start about that too. But um, none of it. And I was like, what do you mean? And people were explaining like, you know, this isn't just a drinking problem. Like it's a thinking problem. Like my disease stems between my ears. And for me, like it makes so much sense as to why I couldn't have one thing and not the other, like anything mind altering or mood altering for me, I know I would not be able to moderate because it would be a slippery slope of trying one thing and justifying and rationalizing. And I just know for me, it has to be this way. And that's just step one for me of acceptance of my powerlessness over substances. Um, and it took me a long time to come to terms with that, especially my first few months of early sobriety where I was trying to work and I couldn't read. I forgot how to read. <laughs> but it ended up like all evening out. And I honestly can say today, 
I am more productive than I ever was on Adderall. Like I was packing to come back from San Francisco to Chicago. And I was like, all right, I'm going to color coat my things and use these hangers only. And like, after when I looked at it, I was like, is this an Adderall quality job? Or like, I was so, I was shocked because I could not have done that six months ago for sure. Even, but yeah. (laughs) Cracks me up. I couldn't read. I I, I was literally staring at the screen and my eyes were going (laughs) (laughs) cross-eyed. Cracks me up. Oh my God. I'm glad you can read now. Okay. Um, Well, we've talked about all the shitty things in sobriety and I want to know what are like the best things that have happened to you this year? What are the gifts? Oh my God. You are so amazing. I like love you and this podcast so much. Um, You're so thoughtful with all these questions. I just love it. Oh yes. They're they're intentional. (laughs) They're so thoughtful. Um, Oh my God. The good things in sobriety. So I found myself and finding myself. And for me, that's probably been the biggest gift of all because I was just so lost. And even I look at pictures of myself from last May and I don't recognize that person. Like there was no light. There was no... Like that smile was ingenuine. And um, I've honestly just been so thankful to like have this connection with myself and my body and um, that's been a huge gift, but I mean, even more so than that, Oh God, so many things. Um, I came home to Chicago for two months in the quarantine and it's actually where I am indefinitely now. And even the way I was able to interact with my family, I kept my side of the street clean and I was able to show up for them in a way that I never was before and be the daughter that I never was for them and do the dishes and do these little, um, acts of service and like little amends for them. And honestly, I was so proud of that. Like my relationships with friends are so different. I mean, I used to just want a million friends and Instagram pictures in massive groups. And now I'm like, I don't even care if I Instagram or not. I love like the less but better relationships that I have. And it's with people who understand what I'm going through. Like you, Mel. Like that day at the beach we shared together was like so magical. And it was just such a beautiful gift of the program that I can feel known. I can feel understood. People can care about me. And I can care about other people and want to know about other people and not just care about myself. Because I feel like I can now be the friend I always wanted to have and never had. Um, I mean, and yeah, even like within relationships, like I was always choosing the wrong guys. Like now I'm a little bit more thoughtful about who I want to give myself to or spend time with, or, um, like even just being, yeah, being more productive at work, like not being hungover, not spending a lot more money. I mean, the, the benefits of sobriety are, are the list goes on and on for me. Um, and the days are hard sometimes, but like, I love answering this question because now I remember why <laughs> why this is all worth it. Oh my god. Yeah, totally. I mean, my relationships have just absolutely transformed. Um, I just I would do things 
not because I actually valued the relationship, but because I wanted something out of them (laughs) and like manipulated the situations and, you know, would only go to parties because I wanted to look better in front of so-and-so. And, um, now it's just so different. Like I show up with no ego and my relationships are so authentic. Um, it's, it's something that I never thought that I'd be able to do or be able to have. And I mean, now, like I, I always used to show up with an agenda and now I just, I don't show up with an agenda. You know, I want to do things to help others, which was just like unfathomable for me to even think of before. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I show up cause I want to show up and like, I want to be consistent and I want to be a good friend. And that's totally different than how it was before. It's so true though. I mean, especially like being of use, like being useful to people and like all these experiences that we've had that when somebody was like, Oh my God, I've done that too. Like that instant bond of, it's just, I don't know. I've never had anything like that before where, or even people I can be honest with. I am someone who had a lot of secrets and a lot of fake vulnerability of like not letting people in, but letting people in is how you get close to people and or me at least I should speak to me but um it's just yeah my whole my whole world is is different and honestly the world itself is not different like I had the same job I was living in the same apartment it's just the way that I'm viewing the world as a hundred percent different Oh my God. Yeah. I used to say that literally nothing has changed externally. Like I do have a new job, but everything has changed internally. Oh my God. I love that. I never heard that before, but I'm love. I'm living for it. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> Quotes by Mel. Quotes uh, by Mel. I've got a note. I've got a bunch of them in my notes section. <laughs> I'll screenshot for the podcast listeners. <laughs> Well, I just want to know if you have any, any tips and tricks for people who are trying to get sober. How, how do they start that process? Well, there are a few ways. I mean, for me, I was afraid to open up to people about it that didn't understand. And the reason I confided in those two guys I met is because I knew they had experience with it. And I guess I take that for granted because, you know, for 26 years, I didn't have that. But if there are people that you know that don't drink or, you know, don't do drugs anymore, I would just ask, I mean, ask them about it because we're so happy to share our experience with you because it helps us too. And if not, like some of my best girlfriends in the program came to the program by chatting the AA.com help chat. And like ask, like saying, like, I think I want to stop drinking. Do you know what the next steps are? And they would respond back and say, like, here's a meeting in your area, check it out. And just being open-minded, um, that this is not a shameful, a shameful situation that you're in. Like, we all have our own skeletons in the closet, but now like there the one of the whole chapters of our book that we read is called There Is a Solution. And we are here to help and provide the solution. And like, you never have to drink again. And I think for me, like hearing how other people came to the rooms, whether it was like through rehab or through the website or whatever it was, once you get here, like your first meeting is, what did they say? Like your first meeting, the only meeting that's your first meeting is your first meeting or something like that. Where like from there, like the tide kind of like carries you and whatever your path to working the steps and finding sobriety is 
um, I would just say, have an open mind. That's my, that was my biggest thing. I came in, I was like, what do you mean? I'm not going to take out her all again. Like, okay. If you say it works, <laughs> like, okay, I'll try it. Like I'll call you every day. I'll do the things. Like I did all the nonsensical things that my sponsor asked me to do. And I had no idea why I was doing them. And some days I was like, I'm really annoyed that I'm doing this. And I would say that to her. And she'd be like, it just proves your willingness and your open-mindedness. And so I would just say, have an open mind. You're not alone. This is not a shameful thing. And there are amazing, amazing sober people that are willing to help you. Like whether it's getting you in the rooms or once you're in the rooms, like literally carrying you through. Um, I've been so grateful for all the women and people in my life that have carried me through this past year. So I don't know. That's probably a long way, long winded answer. What about you? What would you say for people that are looking to get sober? Hmm. Well, I had one guest on my show that just said, quit fucking lying to yourself, which is as simple as it gets. (laughs) But I mean, for me, if, if you have to question whether or not you're drinking too much or you're trying to control it and like giving yourself all these certain circumstances, like you probably have a problem, which is like a really tough pill to swallow. I get it. Um, and it's not always obvious to think you have a problem, but I don't know. My sponsor always tells me, um, I just had to come in with how, which is honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. Um, like that's all I needed to do. I came in super broken. Like I didn't want to be on this planet anymore. I was suicidal. And literally like, if you just hold on for dear life for the first, I would, if I say a couple months, that's just a lie, probably six months. Like you're the rewards that you get are out of this world. You have people that love you, that hold you dear while you're struggling so hard in the program. Um, so it makes it easier, you know, like I've been able to create these incredible relationships because I came in absolutely fucked <laughs> and like they still loved me. <laughs> and like those women loved me until I had, you know, enough on my shoulders where I was able to love myself, you know, not even a year later, not only do I not want to kill myself, but I love myself. I'm able to give back. I enjoy my time on this planet. Like those are incredible gifts that um, I just didn't think were going to be possible for me. And like, my life is fucking cool. I get to do the coolest stuff. This is awesome. I get to sit down and talk to other alcoholics about their experience to help other alcoholics. Like this is dope. This is as great as I could imagine it, but I know it's only going to get better. This is cool shit. Like this is the coolest shit that you're doing. Like I feel so honored to be here and be chosen for this podcast because you are breaking down the walls and you're breaking down the stigmas of addiction. And I remember even when I told my friends like, Hey, I am going to AA and they're like, you like, what? No, no. What? Like, so what you used to roofie us and make out with 42 year olds to get free drinks. Like everyone does that in their twenties. And wait, you used to roofie your friends? Okay, I used to like, yeah, I used to like tell them I would give them Adderall or Advil and (laughs) put Adderall in their drinks so that they could stay out late with me. (laughs) They knew that I told them the next day. (laughs) But, But still they were like, I don't think you need AA. And I'm like, you don't know what I need. Only I do. And I love that quote that you just said of like quit lying to yourself and 
and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Like this is a solo journey as you meant bringing it full circle to what you said earlier. Like, I don't care if people know I'm in AA. Like it's been amazing. It's like an underground society of cool people <laughs> like who are all amazing and willing to help me and like a new network of life connections. Like I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. When I was recording the podcast with Sarah, she was talking about like how awesome and cool sobriety is and like how it's rock and roll that we're sober. And literally once the podcast was over recording, we only talked about what she was going to get at Home Depot and how excited we were to hear like what, what she was going to get. <laughs> and I was like, sobriety is so fun. What type of dirt are you going to get? <laughs> it does change what you actually love in sobriety but it's way better or like geeking out about god oh my god i've had some crazy conversations with girlfriends now about if my god is like my spirit guide or my past life or who my angels are i mean the coolest woo woo stuff i would have never never thought i'd be interested in now but Oh my God. And I craved deep connections with other people to like get that spiritual aspect, but I would do it like eight shots deep every single time. <laughs> and now I get to do it for real and it actually means something. It means a lot. Cause you, I mean, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I totally relate to like the drunk life chats. Oh, I used, I loved cornering people. But I used to do that to sober people. I did that with, with the guy um, that was sober one time that we were at a party at Stinson beach. I remember like cornering him and being like, so you don't drink. What does that mean? You not, you don't just drink on weekends. Like you don't just have one. He was like, it doesn't work like that. Like I can't just have one drink always. <laughs> I'm like, I don't get, I don't get you and why you don't drink. But honestly, it was just a straight projection of my own, of my own questioning oh my god all the newcomers that come in and are like i don't know what to do i have to go to the social event and what if they ask me why i'm not drinking like the only people who ask you why you're not drinking are other alcoholics and addicts because they they don't understand what's happening no normal person will give a shit oh my gosh yeah all oh all the scenarios i played in my head of early sobriety of people that were going to come up to me and ask what was in my drink. Like, honestly, no one cares. Also, like everyone's doing their own thing in their own heads. And I was, Oh my God, I was so concerned about what people were going to say. But you're right. I, I would say for me, like the, the response of sobriety has been overwhelmingly positive. And there have just been a few cases, but ironically, my best friends from home who were kind of like, we still don't get it and we miss you, the old you. And that was hard to come to terms with because I thought I was doing all this stuff to better myself. And it's like, you guys can't see that. And I think they just, they missed the way things were, or I haven't shown them enough yet, but that was, that was really hard. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard. I've been in similar scenarios where, you know, I've, I've had, really good groups of friends, but our main thing was partying. And so if you take that away, like, you know, they don't really want to party with an alcoholic, no fun anymore. Um, but I mean, it's just like, I'm, I'm not a part of that scene anymore. So it just shifts, but it's hard nonetheless, you know, even when people support you, but like different worlds, you know, you can't, you can't go out and hang out in bars like you used to. It just, 
for me, it doesn't do anything for me anymore, nor do I want to, but like, it's not conducive to my sobriety, but like, I feel you, dude. It's hard. All right. Just one more question for you. I want to know what's the best thing about getting sober young. The best thing about getting sober young, I would say is two things. One, um, that I have a whole second life to live and a lot of it. I feel like everyone I meet in the rooms, they're like, the one thing they say is like, I wish I got sober earlier. Or like, Mel, how many people come up to us and they're like, you guys are so lucky, like getting what you have at, at your age. Like if only I got sober at 24, 26, like, um, and we just have so many years to like live the life that we wanted. And secondly, I love the fellowship of the women in AA of like having older girlfriends because I feel like most of my girlfriends in the program are between like 30 and 36. And like, I even had a girl who was like 52 come to like my birthday party and like a six year old woman who came to like a picnic. And I just, I love hearing their perspectives because um, they'll say in the, in the rooms, like, people relapse. So you don't have to like anyone's experience can benefit me in a way of not making the same mistakes that they did. And they have just like so much life insight to share. And maybe it's because I have mommy issues or whatever, but, or I'm an oldest child. Um, but I've always loved older girlfriends and they've just taught me so much about life beyond sobriety. Um, and of course in sobriety, but I I'm so grateful to have gotten sober at this age because I can really soak up everything that they, that they share with me. I know our, yeah, like our sponsors are 35 and like they make us feel even younger. I mean, I never wanted to live past 30, to be honest. Like I was like, I'm going to live hard and fast and die at 29. And now I like feel young at 26 and like you feel young at 24. Whereas before I would have been like, well, only two more years of life. (laughs) It's a weird dichotomy, but now I look forward to life beyond my thirties and like being a mom and all these things that I was just so afraid of before. I used to get like really nervous about getting old and wrinkly and looking old, but now I just like don't care. I'm so excited to see what my life unfolds like. I know, right? I was like, I can't picture myself with wrinkles, so I just won't. But now I'm like, am I going to rock a Stacey Clinton like silver hair? Like, (laughs) oh, well, yes, I just absolutely adore you. And thank you so much for coming on today. I mean, you really just showcase to people that it's all about how you're feeling on the inside. You know, you don't have to hit these crazy, crazy bottoms to come in. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you for sharing your experience. It can be an internal job to come in. Thank you so, so much for having me. You are such a light in this world and what you're doing is going to help so many people, whether you see it tangibly or not. I mean, it's truly going to make an impact on people's lives. So like that is true service and being useful to other women like or men even i mean you what you're doing here is something i would have dreamed about doing but you're freaking doing it and i'm so proud of you and i i'm so excited for your one year coming up next week and it's been so beautiful to see your journey they say in the program like we see the changes in our friends before they do and like seeing this version of you mel is like such a gift of the program right before my eyes. Dude, it's a miracle that I'm, that I'm here. I'm so blessed. I mean, I came into the rooms literally drunk, (laughs) 
literally drunk and sharing that I wanted to get a tattoo and a cat all in the same day. And uh, yeah, you were there for that meeting and <laughs> still wanted to be friends with a weirdo. But um, I love you so much. And yeah, I'm excited for my next guest next week. So I'll see you guys then.